those day one people, you know, they really helped. They really helped this campaign. It, it gave fuel to this rocket to re, to really allow it to flourish to where it is known. Hey everyone, welcome to the Launch Boom Podcast. Again, today we have the creator of Ascendancy, uh, a tabletop game that as of today has raised $348,000 and still has five days to go with 2,353 backers. Matthew Meatball is the creator and we have him here today to share with us the story behind how he created the game and also his background and what led up to the creation of the game. So welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Thanks for having me. And yeah, I really like what you guys do. Is it okay if I say I'm a customer of yours as well? Because you guys certainly helped my campaign. So appreciate all, all the work you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. Speak all the praise about launch group. <laughs> you can, we, we more than welcome that. Um, but I would love to start with the very beginning. What led up to the creation of this game. And I'll take you way back. My journey as a game creator, let's see, started in the late 80s, I'd say, with Dungeons and Dragons. I became a dungeon master because nobody else wanted to do it, but it was fun for me to kind of create my own worlds. I could put my friends in them and give them horrible situations that they had to think their way out of or, or sorry, roll their way out of. So it was a lot of fun. I never thought you could, you could make any money making games, but you know, I was a big computer gamer. I played a lot of MMOs in the 90s. I, I downloaded shareware in, in the 80s. So I was around for lots of generations of gaming. And all this is to say, I think, before I started to throw, think about throwing my hat in the ring to create my own game, I really had a whole life of experience as a gamer that I could call upon. Even though I never published my own game, I knew a thing or two about what worked, and I, I just had such great experiences that I knew I, I would love to put something together that I could share with other people that would give them some of, of the great moments that I had in my life as a gamer. So that's kind of kind of my background a bit. That's on the gaming side. On the business side, um, I've always been entrepreneurial. I've started a few businesses. I, I sold one of them for a, uh, a very modest six-figure exit. Emphasis on modest because it certainly wasn't enough to retire. Or, or quit working uh, a full-time job. But my goal for Ascendancy was to really make it undeniable to the point that eventually I could quit my day job and just become a publisher and really do this full-time. And it's been a long journey to get to that point. So all, all the marketing, all the sales, all the things uh, that I learned in my past, uh, all of it culminated to this one successful project that you see today on a Kickstarter. But I also had a lot of help, you know, obviously working with LaunchBoom and, and lots of other real professionals has been super helpful for me to get it to this point. So a, a lot's gone into it. It's not just some overnight success as, as you, some people might think when they see, oh, look, Ascendancy, $300,000 on Kickstarter. It's been a lot of blood, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears to get to this point. Yeah. So did you have a following that you already developed prior to launch the launch of the game or was it all developed the 30, 60, or even 90 days prior to the launch of the game? Because this is your first game that you published, right? Yeah, I started a long time ago. I started marketing five years ago when I first started designing the game. You know, I, I brought this game to Gen Con in 2018 and paid thousands of dollars to get there and, and put the game together and got it in front of a bunch of uh, very critical gamers for the first time. 
And the, the first feedback I got was, hey, with this win condition, I can't actually win the game. It's, <laughs> I had a broken game. So as far as the, those are like my first people that ever heard of the game, I got them onto a list, put them in a database. And I still have all those people from years ago who've been with me. Now, is it the best marketing strategy to, to start five years ago when you're marketing a project? Probably not because it's not a very sustainable business, right? So uh, hopefully the next one I do, I, I, I won't take five years to finish it. But this one, it, it needed a lot of time, a lot of time in the oven to get it ready because it's a huge game. There's a lot of mechanics, a lot of things going on. And the marketing, I knew that I wanted to start as early as possible. And thankfully, I know I've retained some of those people. Once I get the final numbers from Kickstarter at the end of the campaign, I'll be provided all those email lists. I'll be able to cross-reference and actually provide some updates to say, oh, I had 15% or whatever people who, who were with me five years ago actually pledge the game today. I'm sure that number is less than the people who have gotten on board more recently, let's say three, six months ago, because it's fresher in their minds. But I, fi I figured why not have both, right? Why not start as early as possible, despite the fact that I didn't have all of the assets. I didn't have, you know, everything was a prototype. Everything was a work in progress. But I knew that it was an opportunity to not squander. If you have time, that's a very valuable thing. I figured, granted, I didn't know it would take five years, but I always felt like I was close to, to getting somewhere finished with it. Anyway, long way to say, I've been marketing a long time. I've always known it was important. Um, but uh, but yeah, working with, with professionals was also a really key part of it, not, not just doing it myself. That's fantastic. So what was, what would you say is the estimated breakdown of that list? Like how many people did you, or what percentage of people did you accumulate over the first, let's say from 2018 and 2022? And then what percentage of the list was accumulated in 2023? I think if you looked at it on a graph and you put 2018 starting up to today, 2023, it would look like kind of like this. And then at the end, like that, right? So I think it was a slow, very slow burn. It took a long time. Yeah. So just for people listening, right? What Matthew did was create like an exponential curve ocean with. Yeah, it was. I would certainly exponential. For example, before launching on Kickstarter last month, we had about four thousand people on our notify me list on Kickstarter. Since launching, then we've added at least double that, if not more. I think we're approaching nine thousand or even ten thousand at this point. So, I'd say five years ago, we had we were lucky if we had 100 or 200 people on the list. So it definitely has grown more people as we've gotten closer to launch. So how did you go about accumulating that list with that exponential curve in 2023? Because everyone knows, I mean, I'm looking at your chart right now, Matthew, and the first 24 hours, I'm seeing $111,296 raise, and that gets you ranked on the platform, gets you in front of a lot more potential prospective customers and buyers of your game. I think that's, you know, the part that a lot of creators are missing, frankly, right? So can you just dive a little bit deeper into like how you were able to accumulate that list? So getting the people is a result of having art assets, visual things to show people constantly throughout the duration of the project. Anytime I had a new piece of art commissioned, I would always try to show it off, send out an email alert to, to the list of people that I had saved in our MailChimp list. Also, I tried to always engage with people. I kept a database of what are all of our channels 
that our customers, where do they hang out? So we have a Facebook group. We have our, our own Facebook group for Ascendancy. And then there's also very popular board game Facebook groups where uh, exponentially more people hang out. You have more reach. But you need to be a little more careful about the way you try to market to them or promote your project, right? You can't be too direct about that. You kind of have to say things like, hey, which, which piece of art do you think looks cooler? You know, this one or that one? If you just come out and say, hey, check out my new project, people tend to not like that. So you have to market differently depending on the channel. Reddit, they're, they're also very sensitive, right, to people who, who are trying to, to just blatantly promote a product. So you have to become part of the community, engage with the people, and, you know, show, show your face for all these different channels. So that, that's like the way of getting people on the list and always trying to be consistent about sending regular updates to them. And that's not easy to do, even though I have a reminder that says every week, you should send out a newsletter, you know, to everybody on the list. You don't always have new content. You don't always have energy <laughs> to put this stuff together. So what worked for me was having a process that I could commit to that say, all right, I need to get at least one update out every week, right? That, that's like the bare minimum that I, that I can do. If I'm not doing that, like I'm just really just squandering my list and I'm not capitalizing on it. So I would really say, all right, what, what, can, I, what can I notify people? Maybe it's a new piece of artwork. Maybe it's a new mechanic that I've been working on. And I haven't been great about this, right? There's plenty of weeks that I missed this that I didn't do it. But at least having the intention, at least having the goal to do it and doing it a lot of the time, if not all the time, I think helped get to that number of $100,000 on day one, which I knew was going to be mission critical because if you don't fund on the first day and fund well, it's easy to get ignored and fall into, as you know, Kickstarter's abyss or, or basement, wherever you call it. So a new day one was really critical. Another thing we did was sent a survey asking people, hey, are you, are you planning to back the game on day one? And we had like about 500 people and the number was a little lower than I expected. I can't remember exactly what it was. And then we asked, well, what, what would it take for you to, to become a day one backer? And this is, I think, an area where, where Launch Boom has a, has a secret sauce, whereas if you can offer somebody an exclusive something, some kind of special offer that distinguishes them, that rewards them, for becoming a day one backer, it makes a lot of sense to me. The the place where I think you have to be careful is there's completionists in the board game world who, who want to have access to everything. And I'm working through this now where we've had backers who they found the project early, they, they pledged the dollar uh, for people who don't know. Do you want to explain how it works, Kevin? Or? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and say basically you writing yourself? Yeah, they, they back, they, they pledge a dollar pre-campaign and that gives them access to an exclusive piece of content in our case it was an, it was an alternate art miniature so they get this really cool miniature the only way you can get it is if you back the game either on day one or you pledge a dollar through through the launch boom platform which kind of holds your hand as a as a publisher or designer where, where it makes it easy to set this up but anyway the, the point is it gives exclusivity to your game to to some components but in our case we had backers who came along later in our process who didn't know about our game you know pre-launch they still want access to this content so we're trying to come to a solution where we can either sell this exclusive uh, product later on after the close of the campaign during the pledge manager that way they could still get it but they'll have to pay for it whereas the early backers early supporters gotten for for free or, or just pledging a dollar essentially or we make it available to everybody that way, you know, nobody misses out, essentially. So this is something we're navigating right now as a publishing company, as a new publishing company. We want to make everybody happy. 
at the same time, we want to make it fair to everybody. So these are just some of the things I think people are going to have to think through as they're adopting these platforms and these, these new marketing strategies that um, make a lot of sense. Uh, and it seems to have worked for us. We had, I think, 250, 275 um, people pledge a dollar uh, as, as a pre, um, pre-campaign offer to trade the launch boom platform. Which, which I thought was pretty good. I'm not going to know how many of those people converted, I think, until I get the actual pledge emails from Kickstarter at the end of the campaign. But once I get those numbers, I'll be able to know, like, what was our conversion rate? Was it 30% or was it 40% or whatever it might have been? Because those day one people, you know, they really helped, they really helped this campaign. It, it gave fuel to this rocket to, re- to really allow it to flourish to where it is now. Yeah, that's fantastic. And th- thanks for um, outlining that for some of the audiences listening uh, to the podcast here. The key is to build up a large enough list leading up to the launch so that there's less guessing involved, right? And what Matthew was mentioning earlier regarding that um, uh, dollar pledge is that's the true positive indicator that we see within pre-launch marketing where you are almost verifying the fact that they're truly interested in purchasing your products. And also it allows you to see which channels, right? Like Matthew talked about all the different channels, Facebook group, his own personal Facebook group for the game, the board game group uh, that's open to everyone, the Reddit groups, etc. By using that reservation funnel, you can see, hey, where do I focus on more of my efforts, right? Especially when you're using advertising. You don't want to spend a bunch of advertising dollars and not know and just get a bunch of emails, which is what most people do, by the way, hoping that those emails convert into backers versus when you get that dollar, again, like I mentioned earlier, is the true positive indicator. So thank you for elaborating on that, Matthew. So going back to the different channels and the board game groups. You talked about what not to do, right? No one likes the person that drops it and says, hey, check out my project, you're supported, et cetera, and then goes away and then comes back when they have their next project. You mentioned being consistent, engaging, participating. What does that engagement look like? Is there a schedule that you follow like you did with a newsletter or you tried to follow like the newsletter? What were some of the posts that you made? How did you engage? I, I was pretty granular about it. I have a an Excel file where I just list out by row all of the channels where I need to show my face. So I have, I think I have 12 different Facebook groups. Some of them are general board gaming. Some of them are like game specific games that are like similar to, to, to Ascendancy. And then of course our personal Facebook group. So I put a date in the row, in the columns and I knew that, all right, I haven't, I haven't made a post in this group in, in a week or two. It's time for me to, to participate over there because Facebook doesn't really make it easy to be systematic about this, right? You, you need to, I have, a, I have a browser tab with like all the different groups open all the time so that I can just open that one Chrome browser instance and I have like all 12 groups right there. And it's a lot easier for me to navigate rather than having to try to remember like, oh, what, what was the name of this group or that group or, or when was the last time I posted there? right? Because you, you don't want to do too much. You don't want to be annoying, like I was saying, but at the same time, you do need to show your face and you do need to contribute to the conversation and add something. And like I said, I'm not the best at this. I'm not the most consistent at it, but 
in having a process, at least I can try to commit to the process rather than the outcome or like, it also increases your chance of doing this of having a hit. And what I mean by that is I had one, I had a few posts that had like almost a hundred comments. It only happened a few times, but this really drove traffic to our page. And while it was rare and I wish I could duplicate it, you don't really know when it's going to happen. It's a weird alchemy of the Facebook algorithm and when you get promoted and how quickly people respond. And if you get lucky and this happens, I think I posted, I, I, I literally just like, I got the prototype at home. I took a picture on my kitchen table because I was excited about it. And I just posted it to, I think, Board Game Revolution or Board Game Geek, sorry, Board Game Group. I, I don't remember which one. And I just said, hey, check, check it out. We just got our prototypes. Like it took me, it didn't take me long to even think about this post. And that post got, all, got almost a hundred comments and replies and drew thousands of people to the Board Game Geek page, to our website, ascendancy4x.com. So you can get lucky, is my point, by being consistent. The, the more, that, that cliche Wayne Gretzky quote, the more shots you take, the, the luckier you get or something like that, the more you score. So that, that was my thinking on trying to be consistent. Yeah, that's very, very true. So you're, that post that you're talking about specifically was about your game. What are the other categories of posts you're making in those groups? Let me try to pull it up if I could find it. Sure. I did actually make categories for that. <laughs> And are you like, are those categories like trying to help other people develop their games and commenting on their games? Is it providing feedback? How are you? Because ultimately you got to provide value for people to respect you and provide value to you and check out your game. Exactly. So, so, so giving value to other people's projects, it, I think is, is, is easier because I don't have to think about it a whole lot. Like if somebody's posting something cool about their game, I can just like it and I can say that looks great or did you think about this other thing, right? That That's kind of natural. When I'm trying to promote my own game, I have to I have to put it into a silo and it's either showing off a mechanic and asking for feedback, showing some new art assets and saying, what do you think of this? Doing some kind of A-B comparison of how do you like this compared to that? These types of questions, I think, could naturally facilitate a conversation and people to participate. Now, it doesn't always work. Sometimes I would make these posts and like nobody would reply. Sometimes they have these like weird, it's just a weird algorithm and, and you really never know what's going to happen. So again, just being consistent. And sometimes I'll have no idea what to say and, and I'll just like try something random. So I think it's just, you just got to experiment. You just got to be consistent. I don't know. I'm not an expert in this. You know, I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. So were you able to pull up some of the categories of posts? Yeah. So one is like funny stuff, like like memes, doing a spotlight on a mechanic announcing a milestone that we just hit something, something that I call just like get hype, which is just, just something that looks or sounds really exciting. Those are some of the categories that I have of, of content. That's perfect. Yeah. So, you know, for everyone that looks at uh, a successful campaign or a project that goes, wow, you know, they, they don't see all the stuff behind it, right? There is obviously a lot of thought that and effort that went into creating the system and even creating the different categories of posting. Um, so now you're, you know, most of the way through your campaign, like I mentioned earlier, you just have five days left in your campaign. How does it feel to have all this traction and thousands of customers? I remember being there myself in a few of the campaigns. I, I don't think I even shared this with you, Matthew, but prior to joining Launchroom, I actually was a product creator myself. 
and launched the seven my own products, physical products, not games. So uh, definitely understand some of the feeling that you might be having right now, but I want to hear it directly from you and, and to share with the audience because it must be a combination of excitement and also like responsibility, right? To deliver and all these people messaging you. I mean, thousands of backers, that's a lot of people messaging. Them. It's a lot, yeah. So I, I thought I was prepared, I'll say this, because I, I listened, I read a lot of firsthand accounts of people who launch projects. So I was like, I'm okay. Like I, I can be steady during this process. I'm not going to get all this on this roller coaster, as I say, of emotions. Completely went out the window. Like I, it completely grabbed me and made me super excited on the first two days. And then, you know, it starts to drop. And then I started to worry. And then it like dropped a lot. And I was like, this is it. Like the project is over. Like nobody cares about it. It started seeing cancellations coming in. Like we have a problem. What are we going to do about this? So it, it goes. It really does go from like bliss, like everything's great. We have a funded project, a funded company to everybody like hates it. They're being critical now. Like people, like they, because you, you go through all the phases that the, that the backers go through where they have this initial excitement and they start digging into it deeper and they have more detailed questions. So my job has been really trying to, there's nobody more passionate about my project than me. So I feel like my job really is to is to communicate that and explain to everybody why I believe in this so much and and really convince them that it is worth their time, it is worth their money, and they are gonna if they're gonna love this thing, it's gonna be great. Um, so that's been my 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 main task I'd say right now is 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 putting that forth, being there in in every single comment section, whether it's on YouTube, whether it's on Reddit, whether it's wherever. If somebody has something to say about it. And, and I, and I have bet new, I have information to contribute. I need to share it. And so this is what I've been doing pretty much all day <laughs> during the campaign, as well as of course, working on the updates. I mean, I have a few people help my, my brother's helping me now, but there's, there's just so much to do. There's always more tasks that you can, there's not enough hours in a day for, there's always another thing you can do to make your project better and your communication more clear and more consistent. And trying to do, you know, it, it, can, it can drive you crazy. And, and my, my feeling on it is uh, it's, it's my, you know, there's nothing else I'd rather do, I guess. That's why I'm doing it. And uh, ultimately, I do, I do love this. I love the project. And the backers have been great. Everything they say, I, I take very seriously. Like, I really take it to art. If, if they have a concern about a stretch goal or, or a game mechanic, I, I, I'm, I'm right there with them. <laughs> and and, and I, I feel everything that they're saying. It's like all this energy is directed right at you, right at your baby, which, which you know, I've been working on for five years. So I cannot take it personally and, and make sure that I put every, everybody's concerns at ease. And if there is a problem, if I did miss something, to make sure that we can correct it and make it better and improve it. And if we said something wrong, I mean, we've made plenty of mistakes during the campaign. We're, we're doing our best to fix all of them. And, and I think for the most part, we've been getting it right. We, we need to keep doing that all the way until we deliver. So the, the job never ends. It's just, this is what it is, you know? It, this is what I signed up for, here it is. And for, for better or for worse, you know, this is what's happening. Yeah, and, you know, also you got to keep in mind that it's usually the, like, we have the negative bias in our brain, right? Like, there's probably 99% of the people are super stoked and excited and happy, but there's always going to be 1% that are going to, some of them constructive right 
but some of them just straight critical <laughs> of, of a project. And you just have to take a step back and look at the, the picture as a whole. And it's very easy as a creator, like especially it is your baby that you've been working on for five years to focus on just the constructive and just the critical. There, yeah, there is a less than 1% of people who, who are just negative, right? And, and not constructive, but there, there are certainly a percentage of people who are critical, but, but they could be right, right? And it's important to recognize what they're saying and, and address it and, and fix things if it needs fixing. So that, that's what I'm committed to at this point. That's wonderful. So now you've had this massive success. It's just your first game, right? I know you're still in the middle of it, so you might not have even thought about it yet, but what, what does the roadmap look like? What, what's next? You have version two, do you have an expansion? We'd love to do that stuff. We need to get ascendancy done first because these backers this month have gotten us to where we are. They're allowing us to make this and put this into the world. They've allowed this to be a real company. So our focus has to be on delivering this to make sure that this goes off without a hitch. And as soon as the close of the campaign, we have scheduled out time to, to just do the real development, balancing, making sure that everything is polished as much as it possibly can be before we get these final files over to the factory for production. So that's what we're really focused on is making this game as, as great as it can be before we start looking at expansions and, and additional content and things like that. So I, as you know, you know there, there's been um, plenty of, of bigger uh, game publishers who have had issues this year um, by launching uh, simultaneous projects and you get into a situation where um, you're, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul to, you know, by launching, getting a new payday for a new project, uh, you're using those funds to deliver your last project. We don't ever want to be in that position as a company. So one more turn games is, is never going to launch another project while we still have this one in the queue that needs to get filled. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned your day job and you know, the overnight success years in the making, what was your day job and what were some of the things that you felt, you know, from your entrepreneurial journey in the past in, in building and selling a business that carried over to this? Well, working as a technology consultant in the IT world, I would say has almost nothing in common with making board games in the sense that it, in, the, in the regular work world, you, you make an appointment, DVD. You say something's going to get done within two week time frame. You're working with professionals who are going to show up on time, and it's not like that in the working world. If you're you're dealing with artists, you're dealing with creative people who kind of have their own idea of, I guess, what commitment, what what getting things done in time looks like. So I found that finding talent who not only can deliver great work, but can do it reliably, who can do it consistently can depend on is, is extremely rare, almost impossible to find people that have this combination of uh, things. So when I find these people, uh, I've, I've tried to, I, to me, they're worth their weight in gold. So I've really prioritized their, that things are going well for them working with us when we're working with me. So yeah, prioritize the people I and mean, talent is, is really king in, in any creative industry. And it's certainly no different in when it comes to board games. So recognizing it and fostering it and not taking it for granted ever, because I think hiring somebody, an artist, let's say on art station, this is the easiest thing in the world. What's almost impossible, again, is somebody who's really great, somebody who, who is dependable, 
and somebody who's available right during your time frame. Um, so these are some of the thing, some of the lessons I would say, some things to watch out for because really all all the game is you've got the mechanics and you've got the the art assets, you know, the, the visual assets, which become your marketing materials. So it this is this is what the game is, and I think the the bar to to design the game, whereas that was I would say my the the, the worst of my skill sets going into this five years ago. I, I designed games, but uh, nothing big like this, nothing published. Um, I knew that that would be relatively easier than I guess as a forty five year old man trying to learn how to be an illustrator, right? Um, but that said, I still it's still extremely difficult to design a great game, something genre defining, something that's going to have legs and be evergreen over the years. That's really hard. I think anybody can design a game, but I knew that to make the game undeniable, I was also again going to have to commit to a process. And for me, that process was identify the weakest part of the game of the project, and just focus on that until it's at least one percent better every day. And I knew that if I could do that, and I didn't do it every day, but I did it a lot, I knew that I would be able to finish the project and get it done because it was just overwhelming. It, it, it felt so far away from being able to finish. This is a giant game. There's so much going on. There's so many mechanics. I had to throw the whole game out and rebuild it from the ground up at least four times. So if I didn't have this process to fall back on, it never would have gotten finished. So... That that's that's something that that really helped me get this over the finish line. Mm. Yeah, I mean, spending five years on it and you know attending Gen Con in, in 2018 and just getting the game launched now, I can imagine everything in between what that could have looked like. So, what does it look like to contract with illustrators and find illustrators and work with them on deadlines, timelines, and then? When you do go through each one of those four cycles and scrapping out the game and rebuilding it, um, are you able to reuse a lot of those creatives and assets? What what does that like hiring and retaining those people look like? And then the scrapping out process, the redoing of it. What does that look like? So we we've had four lead artists on Ascendancy and one graphic designer, one lead graphic designer from from Game Trays. Same as Daniel Alves does a great job, and Noah from Game Trays has engineered the trays also to a great job on the on the engineering side of the game. We had probably five times that number of people, if not ten times that number, who just didn't work out for one reason or another due to schedules, due to you know not turning the work in, or just just you know creative visions. As a designer who who doesn't do the illustrations himself, I had to become by necessity the art director of this project. And we have a ton of art assets. We have a ton of illustrations and getting them all to semi be cohesive together was a big challenge for me. And yeah, you know, it's not easy. It's, it's just a lot of work and constant revisions, you know, constant back and forth, constant iteration, not just the game mechanics, but the art as well, getting everything together, you know, getting the marketing, you, know, you have to iterate on marketing. I mean, you know, the Facebook ads themselves, you know, they, they only work for a little while. Uh, after, after a while, people, people, you need to change your creatives there. You need to change your messaging. So anytime, you know, I, I was working with, with different, different contractors during the course of this process, I, it's, you become a manager and, uh, and, and that you're not just a game designer, right? If you're publishing now, granted, I'm sure it's very different if you're, if you're an established company, if, if you've put out a few games, but for somebody 
like me, you know, learning all this stuff was something that I had to commit to. And I knew that to do this right, to get to a genre-defining, undeniable product, I was going to have to go all in on this. So ultimately, I said, you know what? I don't have time to work a full-time job and get ascendancy in shape to the point that I know it needs to be. And that was a risk. That was a scary thing for me to do. Um, but I knew it was the right thing for me to do. And luckily, I had enough cushion built up over time that I had enough savings that I knew I had some runway to get it over the finish line. But yeah, hitting that launch button on launch day, I didn't know if it was going to, to be successful. I was confident we would fund because of using professionals and, and tools and things like LaunchBoom. I knew we had enough day one people to show up, but I didn't know uh, how much. It, it, it was such an unknown thing. Um, so I'm really thankful it turned out well. And my, my, my intuition was right. Um, I had a feeling it would do well. I knew that as a creative work, this only I could do this. I, I knew this was never going to exist in the world because Ascendancy as a game is, is a mashup of all the things I loved in, in fantasy video games growing up as a kid and board games. And I wanted to put it all together into one epic game that would give me that feeling of progression, of, of satisfaction that I, that I was going through a real hero's journey. So I think I had enough passion <laughs> to stick with it and keep going because if I didn't, I would have given up a long time ago. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. It does. And, you know, just to build off of that, what was a horrible mistake or failure that ultimately, you know, felt like it was the end of the world, right? Along the way, it doesn't even, even have to be relevant to the game or development of the game, but anything that happened along the way that now in hindsight, you can look back and say, wow, that really positively shaped. The stretch goals are a recent example in that I had an idea of how many and what they would be, but when our funding went, went higher than expected, they, they kind of went out the window and we had to scramble to figure out how are we going to redo this in a way that the backers feel like they're invested in this journey that has the game become successful. They will also be benefiting from that. But yeah, we didn't get it right. I mean, we, for example, we had a stretch goal for, for a spiral bound reference guide might not sound like a big deal to everybody, but when you're investing almost $200 in the all-in version of this game, that's a notable investment. You want to make sure that you're getting what you're saying you're paying for. Anyway, we had the spiral-bound version instead of a stapled version, which is a little cheaper to manufacture, and it, it's a nicer quality of life when you have a spiral-bound book because you can open it, and it's, it's half the size compared to if you had something stitched. It, it becomes double size when you open it. Anyway, our creative our, our assets that we used on the kickstarter page i didn't realize this already showed the spiral bound version and then we offered it as a stretch goal so people didn't like that <laughs> so they felt like they were being duped and you know what they were right it was it was an oversight on my part i didn't realize that the art that we were using to show the instructions and the scenario booklet were already showing the spiral bound book so you know i, I had to own that i'd say look you're right we, we this was an oversight so what we did to make it right was we just made it, uh, we made it as a free bonus for everybody. Um, does it cost more money? Yes, it does. And, but we have to focus on, on earning trust for people as a new publisher, right? That has to be our focus because if <laughs> you, you can't make those mistakes and, and not fix them, otherwise it, it's just going to derail the whole campaign. So we knew that that was something we had to fix that didn't go right, but I think we've solved it. And will we have more of those? I hope not. 
but we're keeping an eye out for them and, and trying to solve them as, as they come. Yeah, and that builds trust along the way too, right? When people see that, hey, you're human too, and you made a mistake and you owned up to it, and now you're going to go and fix it. And you're public about that as well. So props to you. They're they telling me. Uh, they're not shy in those comments about <laughs> if you make a mistake. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they'll really uh, put the fire under your butt. That's for sure. <laughs> so, you know, you're, this is your first game that you're publishing. You've had, you know, quite a few different experiences all over the place from a, being a technology consultant to being an audiophile, right, that you told me about and, and geeking out on, you know. No, why don't you talk a little bit about that? You know, I just, I, I've, I've been a lifetime musician. I produce rock music. I've got amplifiers and drums and come into vintage microphones with tubes in them. So it's my passion. I I love making, so I love creating things from nothing. And for me, I feel like, I, I, I made this comparison before, when, when, you, when you create a production, a, a track or a song, everything matters. Right? It's all, if, if one instrument, if one, if the snare drum isn't cutting through the mix in, in a nice way, or if, if anything is out of place as far as the, the frequency range or, or the rhythm or anything, it kind of throws off the whole, the whole track, the whole song. And I, I approach game design the same way, whereas when I'm building a track for music, I also try to iterate, you know, 1% at a time. We swap out a snare drum, swap out a, a guitar or a riff for something that works a little bit better. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be 1% better than what it was before. So when, when designing this project, I took the same approach and I just tried to make everything a little bit better, looked at the weakest part of it, fixed that. And so I tried to apply what I learned in the music world to, to this. I love that. So yeah, I mentioned all of those things because the question I was leading up to was you do all these different things and have such a, you know, varied experience what is the purpose of doing all of these different things and what is the purpose of launching the game like what i guess the big question is what gives you meaning well there's a few things uh one is i wanted this product to exist and it did not exist and i've played a lot of board games and i could not find anything that gave me that same feeling of progression that ascendancy does so I wanted to bring this into the world for selfish reasons. I wanted to play this game and I wanted, I just wanted it to exist. And then, you know, uh, on the, on the company side, I'd rather uh, invest my time, my energy, my passion into something that I love doing. That's not to say tech consulting isn't a great thing. You know, it, it's a great career, but it's, it's, it's not the same as following uh, something deep, deep in you that that's the result of childhood, the whole, whole formative life of playing these games, having these amazing experiences with them and being able to share them with other people. So being able to give that to others, you know, everything that goes into this game is everything that, that I've experienced that was, that was, that was cool and good and fun and had to share that with other people. But that's, that's really my goal. You launched August 7th of 2023, your when did you leave your job? It was like five, six months ago or so, I would say. Yeah, stopped, stopped doing project work and was like, I need to get this in champion. It, it must have been scary, right? And what's, aside from what you mentioned, which is, you know, needing the time to get it to, to move forward, there was also four years prior to that or five years prior to that that you could have made that decision. What was the tip? I think I felt confident enough in our list 
and and the kind of feedback we were seeing. People seemed enthusiastic about it. I was confident we would fund. And I knew the one thing missing was time. You know, I have two little kids and I don't have much of a life outside of work, but I have someone of a life. So I knew that one thing had to go and figured, you know what, why not take a shot? Try it. Tell me. Worst that can happen is is the project is not successful and, and I'll have to go back to work and get a job. That's literally the worst that can happen. So I figured, why not? Why not try it? Give it a shot. Just, just do it. Yeah. I just want to also highlight what you said there. It's a lot of people put things a little bit out of order, right? We always, as entrepreneurs, there's a million things to do. And especially with a personal life, like yourself, you know, two kids, you just have to highlight and focus on the things, the one domino, right? That if it knocked down, makes everything else easier and necessary. I try to ask myself that every day, every morning or every week, every month, every quarter. And for you and for most other creators out there, whether it's a board game or a physical product, the thing I want to highlight is the building a sufficient size list that you feel confident in is by far the, you know, the most important domino that you have to put in place so that everything else falls. Totally agree. I think this is one of the main mistakes I see other creators make where they've got a great idea, they've got a great product, they don't have the marketing in shape yet and they haven't cracked that code because it goes again, it uses a different part of the brain, you know? And if it's not something you want to or can do yourself, you got to pay people who have that strength. If that's if that's your weakness, right? It's so important. It's it, You got the best game in the world, but if people don't know about it, you don't have anything. That's right. That's right. And I think some of that comes down to fear as well, Matthew, right? From being a creator myself previously like you just want to build 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 and get it to perfection because it allows you to distract yourself from your biggest fear which is putting the product out there and maybe people don't like it (laughs) but actually the key is like you just said to put it out there do the marketing see if people like it if they don't then continue to iterate to a point where people like it, and that's where you're really going to find true progress. And it's painful. <laughs> it's not fun to, to get your baby called ugly, to show up to a convention and people find out all the problems with your product. It is not fun at all. But yeah, it's growth. It, you know, it's like strength training or whatever, Like, but it's worth it in the end, right? Yeah. And I love that you did that. That was one of the first things that you did when you were creating your game in 2018. Go to Gen Con, you know, pay a lot of money to go to Gen Con and show it to people. And have people tell you, hey, what, how do you optimize these win conditions, you know, et cetera. And I think that's a huge reason why you're seeing so much success today. You got it in front of people as suits you could. So what's, you know, now your days are, you know, probably just back to back to back interacting with the community and answering your questions, concerns, and making sure you deliver and coming up with a plan in place. But Prior to this, you talked a lot about the process of engagements, coming up with systems for that. It seems like you're a very process-oriented guy. And I love that because as long as you have a good process and you follow it consistently, the results eventually does come, right? If you improve 1% every single day, I mean, you're what's the number? I think like 27x better by the end of the year. So the what does a good day consist of for you? Process here is wake up 
and go for a walk outside. I find getting some sunlight is really helpful. Eating a little bit later than I might be hungry. I think being a little bit hungry in the morning can be helpful. Some of, some of the, the doctors that I, that I follow online, they, they, they kind of say this stuff helps out, so I do it and it seems to work. Yeah, and then I... Who are those people that you uh, follow? I'd be like Andrew Huberman. He's got some weird advice. But yeah, and then once I start my day, I'm just like locked in. I, I have a, all my tabs. I just kind of go through them in order. I start with like the big picture, like what's our funding at? What's the main sentiment as far as the comments? Like are people happy or are they not so happy with something? And then going in there. And then I collaborate with a few other folks to to help me figure out all right, what's our newsletter update going to be for tomorrow. We come up with a theme and then we say, all right, what, what assets do we need to get this released? Then I'll communicate with the factory to find, okay, if we do this new stretch goal, does this, how much is this going to increase our, our cost of manufacturing the game? How's that going to increase, how's that going to affect the profitability? Is this going to make it, you know, impossible or is this something we could actually do? What funding do we need to get there? So, so weighing all these different things, you know, thinking about like, how is this going to impact the, the future of the business? Because now I'm thinking about this as a business, whereas before it was a project. So, uh, you know, all this has to be counted for. So, and then, yeah, I just work all day, basically. I'm definitely a workaholic, but it, it's not always that the healthiest thing. So I do try to force myself to, to take breaks and do other things. I don't know if I'm not always the best at it, to be honest, but I do see the value. And because if you're just grinding away all day, every day, I think it's really easy to get lost and into not such a good place mentally. So if I do try to force myself to take a break and, and do other things. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you do regularly that upgrades your body? health, I don't know, mental clarity. I forced myself to go for a run too. I didn't, in the middle of the day, always go for a run, at least 15, 20 minutes, come back and that getting sick, cause you know, you're in front of a computer all day. It's just not natural. It's not good. So you gotta do something to counteract that, you know, try to eat healthy. I, again, I'm not the best at this, but you know, I'm trying, trying to not get too much saturated fat and things like this, you know, it, it affects, you know, I think the mind, like it's really hard to focus. I have no creative energy in the middle of the day, say this, in the morning and at night, the first two hours and last two hours, I'm just priming with ideas and cool things. I have none of that in the middle of the day. So I try to put all my like hardcore process stuff right in the middle, stuff that I don't have to think about, stuff that's just like, all right, I know that I need to look at these numbers, I need to do these tasks, but stuff that's like working on a mechanic or something that's like more creative, like, like background story for one of the royal houses that's part of the game. Right? That stuff I reserve for, for the creative time because I know that I'll have like actual output during that time. Yeah. So you really like have that self-awareness around, okay, what, what part of the day your body and your mind is most optimized for. And then you build your work around that, which I really love. And you and I have that actually very much in common. I'm definitely an early morning and late night guy, mostly late night, actually, in terms of like thinking creativity even creating plans and thinking about the future and long-term during the days when I take all my meetings, et cetera, not that I don't need to think as much, <laughs> but like I can definitely do that without too much or as much creativity. Right. And also the runs too. It's like, I, I used to, you know, lift weights, et cetera. But what I found is there's nothing that jacks up your heart rate more than just going out for a 20 minute run. Right you break a sweat within the first three to five minutes and, and the rest, you just come back with that uh, dopamine, serotonin, and all that, all of that good. Yeah, stuff I think 
David Goggins calls it like zone two versus zone four or five, like zones, right? So I, I try to think about that. Like how much am I exerting right now? Well, I have fuel in the tank later, still do stuff. Like I don't want to burn up too much, but I want to burn up enough that I'm getting some exertion. Yeah, it's funny. I was just on a run listening to his most recent oh, book, good. Never Admit for the, for the third time. Yeah. So I, I actually have a, a jiu-jitsu competition tomorrow. So I've just been listening to him on repeat. <laughs> as I'm going through the weight cutting and cardio and all that fun. So it's a good lean thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's the best feel you can have, I feel. So I can't highly recommend David Goggins and his books enough. It's his books, I would say, have made a tremendous impact on me personally. It sounds like he's definitely had some influence on you as well, Matthew. The two books, right? The second one, most recent one, is Never Finished. And the first one, name is skipping my mind. You have it. Can't hurt me. Can't hurt me. That's right. That's right. And he does like podcasts in between each chapter as well. And so the audio version is just fantastic. Yeah. So we're going to, I know you have a lot to get to and you have two sons. So we're going to wrap this up here shortly, Matthew. Um, is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Um, where can people find you online? So... The Kickstarter is, is live now. I don't know when this will go out, but it'll be live until August 31st. And then we'll have a late pledge and a pledge manager eventually. But yeah, ascendancy4x.com is the game page. You can check it out. You can come hang out in our Discord. I'm always chatting on there. We've got a lot of enthusiastic folks on the Board Game Geek forums. you got Ascendancy. Yeah, pretty much. Those are the main spots. Awesome. Thanks for that. And this podcast will be coming out after the game closes, but I'm sure from your website that you just mentioned, people are going to find how to order your game from there when the podcast is out. And thank you so much, Matthew, for taking time out of your very, very busy day and your kids, time with your kids to join me on Launch Boom Podcast here today. And I mean, even during your campaign too. So can't tell you how much we appreciate that. I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot from hearing this podcast and hearing your journey and your thought processes. Really appreciate everything you have to share. Thanks for having me. It's been fun chat with you, Kevin. And thanks for your help with Launch Boom. It's definitely helped our campaigns. That is music to my ears. One of the most satisfying things that I can, you know, hear. Yeah, I would definitely use the guys again. Thanks, Matthew. I mean, we do this day in and day out and definitely spend more than eight hours a day working on this. So that is fun. Honestly, I think it's a bargain. I mean, for, for the value you get, for what launch pool costs, I feel like it's a no-brainer. And yeah, I mean, why not do it? You, you know. I appreciate you saying that, Matthew. I'm definitely going to edit that snippet. <laughs> <Use that. laughs> All right. Thank you, and uh, have a great rest of your day. No, thank you. If you enjoyed this, please leave a review at launchboom.com forward slash podcast or on Spotify. Every review makes a massive difference because it only allows more people to benefit from the experiences of our incredible guests. You can also sign up for a free newsletter at launchboom.com forward slash newsletter. Learn how to bring your product idea to life with crowdfunding just five minutes a week. We send one no BS email every Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening.